This is Not Quite Dead, a gal pal horror movie discussion podcast. We do deep dives on our favorite scary movies, but sometimes we really just like to keep it shallow. I'm your host, Kate. I'm Megan. Get ready for all the spoilers. I can't believe I was nine when this came out. I feel like I've always been an adult who loved this movie. I feel like this movie and I grew up together. I am of that age where Disney Channel played this movie, Halloween Town, every single day for the entire month of October. (laughs) My entire childhood. The Halloween before COVID. My coworkers and I went to a dive bar near our work. And this movie was playing on repeat all day at the dive bar. And I was like, this is amazing. Hocus Pocus is what we're talking about today. It is a criminally underrated Halloween cult classic. Tell us the Rotten Tomatoes score, Kate. (laughs) Give our audience a second to guess if they don't already know. All right. You've guessed. Whatever you guessed like divide it in half because the Rotten Tomatoes on this one is 38%. Makes no sense. Can't believe that. So low. I can't believe it. I just don't know what the critics were thinking. It's so obviously a kid's campy, silly Halloween movie. It's not going to go into the Criterion collection. It's just a fun movie. (laughs) What was the movie we were talking about the other day that was rated in the 70s that shouldn't have been? Was it Ghostbusters? (laughs) It was probably Ghostbusters. The fact that Ghostbusters is rated in the 70s and this is not is just a testament to how screwed up the Rotten Tomatoes meter is, I guess. (laughs) This movie holds up. It's so good. It's got such a fun cast. The story is so relatable, especially to a 90s child. It's just very, very comforting. And I'm sure that the nostalgia that I had none of for Ghostbusters is coming out in full force here because I I am like, this movie is unimpeachable and (laughs) there's nothing wrong with it. We should get a summary out of the way so we can start talking about this cast. 300 years after... The Sanderson sisters, a trio of witches, were hung in Salem, Massachusetts. We have our two California transplants, uh, Danny and Max, who are new to town and inadvertently (laughs) reincarnate these witches uh, because Max is a, like, what, 14-year-old virgin? He lights a candle accidentally bringing back the Sanderson sisters who really just want to suck the souls out of children so that they can stay alive forever. They have to try and defeat the Sanderson sisters. They really want to suck the soul out of cute little Thora Birch Danny. And their companion throughout the movie is a cursed 1600s teenager, Thackeray Binks, in the form of a cat who knows all about these witches and just wants to help Max and Danny try and defeat them. Speaking of the cast, I think Max is the only main character in this 
who I didn't recognize and haven't seen since. And he was almost played by Leonardo DiCaprio. He went and did What's Eating Gilbert Grape instead, which, I mean, catapulted him (laughs) into superstardom. So that was a good choice. What would have his life been if he had chosen Hocus Pocus instead? If Omri Katz had been cast in What's Eating Gilbert Grape, would we be like, ugh, that Omri Katz, he's always dating women who are 30 years younger than him. Well, our three witches are played by really stellar, really great actresses. Bette Midler plays Winnie. Sarah is played by Sarah Jessica Parker. And Mary is played by Kathy Najimy. And we have the youngest, cutest Thora Birch as Danny. And of course, I was nine at the time, so I didn't think she was adorable. (laughs) She was like pretty close to my age. Watching this movie as a kid and then growing up with it, my opinion of all of the characters has definitely changed. When I was a kid, I thought that Danny was annoying. I was like, oh my gosh, she's all up in his business and like she's just a little kid. You know, and Max is obviously like kind of struggling because he's new to the school and this town and doesn't really have any friends yet. You know, as I've gotten older, I've thought like, oh, Max, he's just he's just a teenage boy with a lot of big feelings. And Danny's just like the cutest little girl who just wants to hang out with her brother. She like loves him so much. Yeah, I really don't fault Danny anymore because I agree. When I was a kid, I was like, this sucks that he has to take her trick-or-treating. She's so annoying. She won't leave him alone. It's very reflective of probably how my relationship with my little sisters was, uh, my internal monologue at that time. And now I'm like, oh, I wish I could go trick-or-treating with my sisters. We have a couple other smaller, not like big-time actors who are in this too. Sean Murray does the voice of Thackeray Binks. He's been in some TV shows. He was in NCIS. Allison is played by Vanessa Shaw of The Hills Have Eyes remake fame. And Billy the Zombie is played by Doug Jones, who you wouldn't actually recognize from anything because he's usually covered up with makeup and visual effects. He works a lot with Guillermo del Toro. He's been in a bunch of stuff. He was in Pan's Labyrinth. Hellboy. He's one of those actors where once you learn his name and he's very tall, very thin. And like, so once you kind of have that locked in your mind, you start to see him everywhere. There's also a really, really quick... I want to say cameo, but it's it's not a cameo. The teacher in this is the TV chef from Gremlins, too. I love cross-season connections like this. If you missed it, go back and catch our Gremlins 2 episode from our comedy season. It is a hoot. And uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, also in our comedy season in Mars Attacks. Gary and Penny Marshall also have a quick cameo in this movie. They play Satan and his wife when the Sanderson sisters are trying to figure out what trick-or-treating is. I love the Medusa joke also that they they pull with Penny's hair. I love the scene. It's so funny. Of them coming upon the devil and just fawning over him. It's so funny. It's still funny. I can't get over how many times people just walk into each other's houses in this movie during trick-or-treating. That's not a thing, but... They do it in this movie a lot. Every house in this city of Salem, which like Salem seems like it would actually be a pretty big city, is having a house party, it seems like. Like there are so many 
Halloween parties happening in this town. This is like the one movie that would convince me to move to New England. I wrote down the quintessential fall. I definitely want to move over there. It's so perfect. The fall foliage is stunning. Absolutely stunning. Everyone's in a crisp little sweater. It just like feels perfect. This feels like what America's really good at. The West Coast is really, really good at like summer and like the East Coast is really, really good at fall. Did you have a favorite witch? You know, I did. I loved Sarah, Sarah Jessica Parker's character, because I thought she was very pretty which I later realized was because I'm more than a little bit gay. And watching her, I was like, I love her. I want to watch her. I want to watch her in all of the scenes. I wish she was in every scene. And it also made me want to be a hot witch in a corset. I was like, oh, I, I, I love her. And I also want to be like her. Oh, did your little kid dreams ever come true? I don't think I've ever done sexy witch for a Halloween costume, but there's still time. There is, for sure. She's my favorite, too, for a totally different reason. I thought she was funny. I mean, she's the comic relief of the trio, even though they're all very funny. Her personality, her her humor that she brings is just on overdrive. She's like a dingbat in this. She is so ditzy. I like that we have ditzy blonde witch, and then Kathy Najimy as Mary is like bumbling oaf witch. I actually felt like Mary is very funny. I thought that Mary was yeah. maybe the funniest of the witches for me, especially just like with some of her like physical humor that she's got mm-hmm. going on. Winifred, I feel like people have really come around to her as we've become adults. Do you feel like that? Yeah, I can see that. I think for me, it's because she's been memed so much now. There's so many gifts of Winifred going Ugh, another glorious morning makes me sick. You know, she's got that very dry, negative Nancy like style of humor that like millennials really love. I think that, you know, when you're a kid, the goofy witches are are more fun. And then like as an adult, I'm like, oh, I feel like my contemporary is really like Winifred because she's like hashtag relatable. She's a little bit more of the adult in the trio. And so adults can relate to her a bit better. I thought it was cool that they got to work her singing in. Bette Midler's a really fantastic singer. Yeah, the music in this is pretty great. I think that there's some really fun original songs, and the fact that they're doing the singing is unusual. I, most of the time, they just kind of phone that in, and they just you know hire a separate professional to do it. They didn't have to. Bette Midler sang in Beaches, sang in Oliver and Company, and it was really cool that they got to have her sing in this, too. Do you know if Sarah Jessica Parker did her own singing in this as well? Yeah, actually, for that scene where they're all singing uh, Spell on You, it's actually their voices. Sarah Jessica Parker and Kathy Najimi did their own backup singing for this. I think Sarah Jessica Parker also did her singing on the, The Broom. I feel like it's such an old school Hollywood thing to be like a quote unquote triple threat where you're an actor, singer, and dancer. And like nowadays, they're so seamless about having body doubles to do even like dancing, right? Like I think in Black Swan, Natalie Portman like trained a huge amount to be as close to a professional dancer as possible, but they still used a body double for some of the wider shots. 
So yeah, it's just cool. I, I appreciate it when we can see a cast of stars talents. I think that the modern triple threat is somebody who can act and sing and produce or maybe direct. Or write or something. Selena Gomez or Nicole Kidman. Sarah Jessica Parker, yeah, definitely one of those triple threats. So we talked a little bit about this New England Halloween setting, and I thought it was so bizarre how much divide they're setting up between East Coast and West Coast in here. So I'm weird. Like, what is this Tupac and Biggie shit happening? I know. I feel like the coasts are typically allies. It doesn't make sense for them to be making fun of Californians. It goes on and on throughout the whole movie, the jabs at California. I found that really funny because I am used to the opposite. California being a beacon of what's cool, right? If you're from California, I would have expected this kid to get treated a little more positively because he's from California. I feel like the new kid who was from a different state was always like exotic. Yeah. And this one, they're just like, Making fun of his tie-dye and saying, dude. And his disbelief in witches. Totally normal things for kids (laughs) to not believe in at this point. I was thinking about the 90s and there was definitely like a little bit of anti-Valley Girl bent. I was thinking of 10 Things I Hate About You. They like to make fun of the ditzier girls in that one making fun of Valley Girl speak, in Clueless, same thing, right? Very like stereotypical LA type of person. And then in this movie, they just are relentless about the California hate. Yeah. And I was like, was there like a downer period on California? And then California like got cool again at some point? Like Maybe. I must have missed it. I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but I worked in Michigan as a camp counselor for five summers, and it was always something that people thought was cool, was that I was from California. I mean, it was rare to find somebody at camp who was from California or the West Coast at all because it was in Michigan, (laughs) but it got me some street cred. So when I was rewatching this as an adult, I was like, what's going on here? I will say as a California transplant into Colorado, people don't really seem that impressed that I'm from California. No, They're like, "Mm, can you get out of our state, please? And I'm like, they've had enough by now. You moved here from Nebraska 15 years ago. I have every right to be here. And when we had the new kid at my school, I remember in third grade, we had a new boy and he was born in Guatemala. So he was a little exotic because he had a little bit of an accent and he was from a different school. All the girls loved him. All the girls wanted to be his dance partner when we were doing square dancing and stuff. There would be a flock of girls around his desk to choose him as their partner. So it's just I've had a very different experience with this type of scenario. It definitely makes for some good antagonism in this movie. There's some like classic bullies who also kind of seem like a perfect fit for California with the way they're dressed. Right. I was like, okay, Mr. Cobain with your leather jacket and your plaid shirt tied around your waist. And then the other guy who wants to go buy ice. What kind of bullies are these? Yeah, they're so silly. They also look like they're 35. 
Yes, they don't belong here at the school. And don't they smoke or they want cigarettes? They want cigarettes, but they also want to bully Danny out of her candy. I know. And I was like, do you get to have it both ways? I had to Google to double check that Ice was not going to grow up to be Todd Packard because they look so similar. Yeah, I guess I can see that. That's funny. The characters also behave the same. They do. We also talked about the sheer number of open doors here. How fun would it be to go to a ball or like one of these outrageous Halloween parties? I wish I could have stumbled into something cool like that as a kid. When we were in high school, they make such a big deal out of these stupid dances, right? Prom and winter formal and homecoming and all these things you get dressed up for and go with your friends and party. And you think you're an adult when you're doing those things and then you become an adult and those things never happen. It's over. It's so crushing. I think that this is why adults like going to weddings so much. Oh, yeah. You know, maybe there's a chance of an open bar, but there's also like an excuse to dress up and dance. I mean, clubs are one thing, but the dressing up and like going somewhere formal is like such a part of it. And I would love to go to a costume ball or a costume party like this. I try and I fail, I think, every year to throw some sort of Halloween party or gathering because it's the one time a year you can expect people to get dressed up and you can make it like a prerequisite, right? It never works out because, one, you know, we don't have a nice big ballroom. There's not a whole lot you can do in our apartment, not just to speak about the balls, but I mean, the little town party looked fun. I wanted to go to that where the parents ended up. Yes. I mean, the kids go out on their own. It's very, very safe for them to go trick-or-treating, right? There's no like parents shepherding their kids trick-or-treating in this movie. So the kids get their own kind of plot line almost. They're just cut loose for the evening. And then the parents get to go to this like community center party where it's a lot more casual, but there's a live band and they're all dressed fun. The parents are dressed like maybe a little scandalously. The Madonna costume was great. And I like how the mom's like a little bit embarrassed to like show her daughter that she's Madonna. But yeah, Kate, just throw a ball and I'll be there. I can be your attendee. If I throw one, you're invited to ours. This movie was filmed in 92, released in 93, takes place in 1993. Our witches are from 1693. And I thought that the portrayal of witches in this movie was pretty funny with some like nice healthy doses of like classic witch stuff in it. There's some good gags too about what these witches will and won't understand from our world. Some of it's very convenient, I think, because it's a silly movie and it's and they want to throw some jokes in, right? And some of it is, it, it makes sense. I love that the witches are tricked by the indoor sprinklers. The kids, like, understand that witches aren't going to know everything, but then there's some things where I'm like, why do these witches not know what a road is? Yeah, I mean, I get not knowing what asphalt is, but you know what stones are and you know what a road looks like. It seemed pretty obvious that it was a road. Yeah, I mean, they were hung in almost 1700 
the Romans were building <laughs> were building right. roads like <laughs> two thousand years prior. You know, it's just like some of these things were very silly. <laughs> the establishing items are sillier on purpose, I think. You know, they don't know the fire trucks. That's pretty straight. They don't know what a bus is. That's a pretty straight one. TV. But then she does know what a driver's permit is. And she does know what resisting arrest is. (laughs) She knows the word dude. The things that they like kept in to like keep it funny. I'll give you a pass on that. That's fine. The sprinklers are important because they're the catalyst for the kids escaping. And there is a candle nearby with the myth behind it that when lit it will reawaken the Sanderson sisters and so Max of course has to be a cool boy and decides to light it and lo and behold the myth was real he later uses that lighter to set off the sprinklers and trick the witches into thinking it's like acid or poison or something I have some beef with this spell that the Sanderson sisters put on themselves to be resurrected because it is, I feel, arbitrarily restrictive. (laughs) The rules that they set up for themselves with this spell are that if a virgin lights this specific candle on Halloween on a full moon, they can come back for one night And they have to suck the soul of a child out before dawn or they'll be dead forever. There's a lot of stipulations in here. A lot that can go wrong. It's not like a prophecy, right? Saying this will happen. No. That's a lot of places to get wrong. All of these things have to happen between October 31st, 1693 and 1993. There were only about 15 full moons on October 31st. Wow. So like there's only 15 chances but in these 300 years for them to nail this. My biggest gripe of all is that in 1993, the full moon wasn't on October 31st. It was on October 30th. I love that you looked into this. This is my one maybe hill to die on with this movie is that sure. like they got very lucky. Is all I'm saying. And Halloween happened to be a day earlier in this alternate universe. There's something happening in this universe. Maybe the spell had to be this restrictive. Maybe this was just how it was in the spell book. But I was like, all right, Winnie, like you could have made it a little easier on yourself (laughs) because this seems like it's going to take a really long time for this to happen. Okay, well, my beef with the witchy stuff is when Sarah Jessica Parker is luring children away in the beginning it's it's one child right it's Emily that gets lured into the woods but why isn't Thackeray being lured he's not that old what is the cutoff oh that's a good question and where are all the other kids in town that's (laughs) true so yeah back in the 1600s the movie kicks off with the Sanderson sisters luring Emily, who's who's like the Danny of the 1600s, and they do actually suck her soul out, which was pretty brutal. They do actually kill her. And another sidebar is I love that this movie opens with witches luring a child into the forest and like actually killing it. I was like, ooh, this is very Robert Eggers the witch. That's where he got that idea from. Like this is what witches do. This is why we burn and hang them. It's because they kill our children. These witches were witches that actually deserved it. Right. I know. It's so funny that they actually catch them and kill them. 
I assumed that Thackeray was a little bit older than Max. Max seemed kind of like he was maybe 15 or so. And Thackeray seemed like he was maybe like a touch older than Max. Especially now that he's lived for 300 years. I do have to admit, I also had a crush on Thackeray Binks when I was a kid. The cat? I mean, when he's like a ghost at the end. (laughs) But the cat animatronic is very cute. They use three different types of cats. They use a real cat and they use an animatronic cat and they use some CGI for the cat. And fun fact about the animatronic cat, to save some money, they reused it on the Sabrina the Teenage Witch show. If any of you (laughs) remember watching that. Oh, amazing. Uh, And his name was Salem. Yeah. There is actually a Humane Society article that we can post on our blog since they were on set making sure that the cats were safe. And I say cats because Binks is played by several cats in this film, depending on what personality or trick that they needed to have happen. I love that cats are only like trainable to a certain degree where it's like, okay, we can train one cat to sit on command and that's this cat's capacity. (laughs) Yep. After that, it tells you to fuck off. This next cat is our jumping cat. Oh my gosh. What would it feel like to transform into a cat? We've seen a couple transformations, right? We saw Underworld has a good transformation scene. I think Dracula had some transformations, but... The witches are watching him as he shrinks and turns into a little cat. And uh, it looks painful for him. He does not look happy. It doesn't look very pleasant. It's uh, another one of those existential dread type things because this cat is going to live forever and cannot be killed. Yes, we see him get run over at some point and he flattens out like a pancake. Thora Birch is, of course, upset truly upset over this cat she's known for like 10 hours and the cat reinflates on the road and is like hey i'm cool <laughs> we can keep going not quite dead i like that the witches in this can perform magic via potions spoken curses and also singing like they have like mm-hmm. a few different modes that they can use to kind of cast spells And they don't need like a potion to turn Thackeray into a cat. They're just able to do their chanting at him and turn him. And I was like, damn, I would do that all the time. I would would be like turning everyone into cats, (laughs) which would be full of cats. I know. It's too bad they couldn't just do that while their necks weren't in a noose to help them out. Why didn't they? Why weren't they just like, oh, we can just chant at you because you didn't gag us i mean i would have to imagine that their powers are just limited it uses up some sort of energy from within and they have to recharge i think they do start to yell or sing or whatever while their necks are in a noose and the town doesn't they cover their ears they kind of freak out a little bit they do have some limitations that i think are helpful i do like it when our villains have some known limitations because then it makes it a little bit more of a level playing field banks tells the kids that they can't go into the cemetery because it's hollowed ground but one of the things that i want this is one of those like sight gags they have brooms that can fly and you think it's the broom you think oh the broom must be magical right 
but their brooms get stolen by three little girls who are dressed up as trick-or-treaters who just decide to steal somebody else's prop, run away with it. And they don't fly. I I was half expecting them to get on the broom and like fly away. I did too. Yeah. Later on, the witches find like a vacuum and a couple other things. I can't remember. Do you remember what they ride? There's a mop, I think. The vacuum is my favorite because there's the power cord on it. And it's so big. I love the vacuum. And they hop on those and those fly away. So it's something that the witches do to the items they're riding. I love it. It's like still a cleaning tool. It's like just a modern cleaning tool to ride on. Okay, going back to this like spell that they cast on themselves for resurrection. One of the criteria in it or one of the like bonuses that they get out of it is that they can't be killed the kids try and burn them at the high school in the kiln right in the kiln it's like a pottery room yeah they trick the witches into going in there they lock it very reverse Hansel and Gretel I love it yeah the kids go off and celebrate because they're like wahoo we did it we killed these witches and no they didn't because apparently this spell like protects them from getting killed and at that point i would just be like oh okay so we're just gonna die then like like, they're just gonna suck our souls out because we can't kill them (laughs) there's this little catch that they can't see sunlight i think the spell is broken at sunrise they have to get the soul of at least one child before sunrise or they'll disintegrate so that's nice that they do have that limit that probably is the only thing keeping these kids going. I think it's funny that they also try to enlist the help of Winnie's ex-boyfriend and he ends up boning them over. He's this zombie. The witches go over to the local graveyard and wake him up. He's very old. I I thought that was kind of cool. I love that about Salem. Side note, just the old graveyards everywhere. They're so historic and the grave sites are super cool looking. So very cool to just be able to walk over and wake up the dead from the 15, 1600s, see what they're like. So they wake up Billy. This is her ex-boyfriend and think that he's going to help them track down the kids and bring them to the witches. But he ends up helping the kids. So they don't have any allies either. The Billy Butcherson character I thought was very creepy when I was a kid. Yeah, me too. I think the way that he comes out of his grave when he's summoned by Winnie and how like different he looks from anything else in the movie because he's got that zombie hollow face and his like kind of crazy hair. As a kid, I did not understand at all where the Billy Butcherson character came from. I didn't understand that he was an ex-boyfriend. My brain just like did not comprehend this character. I was just like, oh, now there's this scary zombie that's after them. I didn't like him either as a kid, obviously until the end when he helps them. But I was very uncomfortable with his mouth being stitched and moths flying out when it gets cut open gross such a good effect right of him breaking the stitches on his mouth but it grossed me out I remember being afraid honestly of the cat's fate when Thackeray gets turned into a cat and tries to talk to his dad that really bummed me out I remember it's maybe not scary maybe you know as a kid it bummed me out it was probably my early interpretation of existential dread. (laughs) I could totally see that. 
I had a very visceral reaction to the spell book. It feels very body horror because the leather, it looks like stitched skin and there's like a realistic- evil dead. Yes, very evil dead. And there's this realistic looking roving eyeball on the front. The book seems to have like some degree of sentience, like Winnie is- calling to the book and the book will summon her back to it. I didn't like the book. I was like, I would not want to touch that book or pick it up or carry it around. No, the eyeball is really creepy. I think the Pied Piper element it was also scary. Not being in control of yourself and being summoned to your own death. Totally. Them being summoned to be killed, I don't think that they lean too much into the horror of that but as an adult watching it and thinking about other things like the witch or just kind of like what we know about witches as adults thinking about them like purposefully targeting and killing children to maintain their own youth is pretty creepy and I feel like they rightfully given the audience for this movie kind of skip over that the like sucking of the soul it's very g-rated yeah you kind of see a life force and they're kind of glowing and then they kind of slump over but they look like they're asleep and they don't look like they've been killed or they're not desiccated there's no or gore yeah. yeah there's no gore nothing like that nothing that would like scare a kid unless they were old enough to understand that that was killing a kid I did think that, like, once I started getting a little bit older, um, the parents being stuck at the party oh. was, like, kind of creepy. I think the the creepiness of it is the not being in control of your own body. The witches do that a lot in this movie. So they've got a spell on all the adults in town and a spell on all the kids in town, except for these three, except for our heroes that we're following. They're so powerful. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that they weren't able to suck the soul out of one child in a day. Right. Yeah, when the parents are dancing, I remember as a kid not quite getting what was happening to them. I think it just went over my head what the spell actually was. That wouldn't be the worst way to go, Kate. Dancing until I die? I don't know. I don't think I would hate it. I don't think I would hate it either. I don't think it's the worst fate in the world. I think getting your soul sucked would probably be worse. The lack of autonomy does get to me. It's like being drunk, being blackout drunk. Or going under general anesthesia. <laughs> Did you feel like there was anything in this movie that was like age inappropriate for kids or things that were maybe more geared towards adults than, than for kids? I thought there were some funny gags revolving around sex, but that were kid friendly, like the kind of sex jokes a child would make. I didn't think it was I, I didn't think it was inappropriate. I mean, I was nine when I saw this and I thought it was funny when Thora Birch <laughs> says yabos and called her brother a virgin, right? Like calls that out in front of his friends. I don't think I knew what that was, but I knew it wasn't good. I knew it wasn't what he wanted and she was embarrassing him. And that was all I really needed to get out of that scene anyway. I don't know. Uh, what else What else did you think? A lot of virgin talk <laughs> for a kid's movie. I just find that funny because, uh, I mean, I'm like, this kid's like 14. Side note, I'm glad he, it's finally a boy who's a virgin. The bus driver is very into these women. Oh, yes. That totally went over my head as a kid, though. I think I understood 
Sarah Jessica Parker's sexuality a bit because you're right. She was the hot one. Like she was the hot ditzy blonde, which that was not a new concept to me, even at the age of nine. I just thought, oh, he likes her and she likes him. And that was that. It didn't really go much beyond that in my little head. I definitely recognize, as mentioned, that Sarah Jessica Parker was like very pretty and she's very busty in her corset, of course. But that's just kind of how characters in movies dress. And I don't necessarily think that that was age inappropriate or anything. Yeah, I think that for the most part, they they play the jokes pretty G-rated or maybe like PG. Everything's very like kind of tongue in cheek. The mom's big cone bra when she's Madonna is she's more sheepish about it than anything because she's now in front Mm -hmm. of her kids with this so yeah so I think that for the most part they're not doing too many like jokes for the adults it's it's still all geared towards the kids I don't know if adults who didn't see it when they were younger would appreciate this movie as much as you or I or any other millennial I can guarantee this because I have friends who did not see this movie until they were an adult and don't get why people like it so much. Oh, man. It's very, very, very colored by nostalgia. And I will fully admit that I have been, like I said, this movie came out when I was two years old. It it was put out onto Disney every year, 30 days straight. There's like just an incomprehensible amount of viewings of this movie I've probably had over my lifetime. So there's – Yeah. It's like watching a Charlie Brown Christmas. Like you grew up with it or you didn't. It's like the Halloween equivalent of a Christmas story. Well, Kate, you're a new mother. I am still childless. What do we think about this movie? Who is this movie for? As stated, I think that this movie is for any kid. I was really trying to think of an age I would put on this. And in terms of just general comprehension and maybe trying to keep them from being too scared, I would say like five or six at the youngest. But I really don't see anything in this movie that is frightening. So that's where I was landing. I think any kid can watch this. I feel like this movie is more likely to have an age upper limit. I agree. Because then the jokes are childish (laughs) at that point. So I agree. I I didn't think it was scary. It didn't give me nightmares. But, you know, parents know their kids best. If your kid is easily scared, they they might find some stuff a little squeamish. They might be upset when Banks gets run over by the car for a minute. But in general, this seems like a really approachable movie for any young kid. It's very tame. I would recommend it um, if you're a parent who hasn't shared this movie with their kids yet. I think that it's a very good entry-level horror movie. I think that that's something that I'm very interested in and something that I'm excited to talk about this season is which kids' horror movies or or kids' spooky movies are good to introduce kids to the genre. Some things might be better for preteens or early teenagers or some things like Hocus Pocus, like what we just watched, are good for really any age group, any young age group. Well, we love crafts and kids love crafts. So what better mashup than kids horror season with a craft 
every episode. That's what we've done for our kids season. Every episode, we have done a craft to go along with it. Something that you can do with your kid, by yourself, or let your kid do on their own. Sometimes we are working on the same craft, and sometimes we are working on a different craft related to the theme of the movie. And we will share our craft images on our blog and share them with each other live for this episode. In honor of the Thackeray Bing's Black Cat character, both Megan and I wanted to do a craft related to Black Cats. We did not put restrictions around what kind of Black Cat craft we did for this episode. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what your interpretation was of this craft. My interpretation was the kid somewhat friendly craft, although I would maybe say it's not very friendly for doing with your children, is doing a black cat shadow outline. And there was some really great tutorials online where you can do it very simple with black craft paper. You cut out a stencil of a cat and then you kind of just paint around it with white acrylic paint or whatever. You peel it off and you just have this outline. I decided to go a little bit more toxic and I painted a black cat in bleach (gasps) on a black t-shirt. How cool. Oh my gosh. I love it. So the craft was actually pretty easy. I found it actually like pretty easy to just sketch a black cat outline. They're very easy to draw. I used a cereal box for the thickness to cut it out. And I just laid it on top of an old black t-shirt that I was planning on getting rid of. And now you'll keep forever. You line the inside with another piece of cardboard so it doesn't bleed through. And then you just take some bleach and you just paint around the outside of the stencil and you let it sit for 10 to 30 minutes. I think it might've been the type of bleach that I used. I let it sit for 30-ish minutes. I expected it to get more yellow, but it stayed this kind of like purpley color, um, which I thought was actually pretty cool. And then you rinse it in cold water and then you just do a quick cycle in the washing machine. And then you have what's actually like a pretty easy bleach craft. I would not necessarily do this with children because there is a lot of bleach you have to use for it. Maybe teenagers. Yeah, it's a good teenager craft. Their lungs can handle it. So it sounds like something you would want to do outdoors with parental supervision. Yes. Somewhere well ventilated. So I did it in a bathroom that had a fan. Like you definitely don't want to be inhaling a lot of this. I enjoyed doing this. I would highly recommend it. I love it. I've seen shirts like that before on Etsy. Um, And I've always wanted to make one. So I really like how you adapted that craft because I did the same (gasps) craft. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. (laughs) But I I played it straight. I actually did the the paper craft itself that was talked about in the tutorial that you and I both looked at. I wanted to do something that was friendly towards preschoolers or younger kids who are maybe working on motor skills. And what I found was that this craft could be a good fit for, yeah, preschoolers all the way through like age five or six, depending on their skill level. So the craft involves cutting out a silhouette of a cat and basically just using that as a stencil on other pieces of paper. I wanted to take it a step further and try a couple different things. So I took that stencil and I did do a silhouette on a piece of paper. And then I also 
took the negative of the stencil and overlaid that over another sheet of paper. So you get like this window of a cat coming through. So I figured kids who are working on motor skills would benefit from this craft by cutting, right, and gluing. Those are those are pretty standard kindergartner skills that, that are being learned. I follow this Instagram account called Big Little Feelings. What it is is a couple of moms who put together really, really good material for dealing with toddlers. <laughs> toddlers are tough. And they constantly throw ideas out about really easy ways to keep your kids occupied during the day, right? Like how to entertain them when you're tired or like you don't really have much craft stuff in the house, but you have a couple things. And one of the things they always bring up are these little pom-poms, like those little fuzzy balls. They do all kinds of stuff with them. Uh, Really basic stuff like here, get a tub of water and throw the pom-poms in it. Your kid will have fun. And that's it. It's just so basic, (laughs) right? So I took the pom-poms and I glued them around the outline of the cat silhouette um, because that seemed like another easy way to add some color and also work on some of those motor skills. I am so excited to put these pictures on the blog because I think that this is great. We have basically the same craft, but two different versions for two very different age groups. Yeah. The cats that you've got are so colorful and fun. And I like how like big and cartoony the cat head is on yours. It's super cute. Yeah. And what's nice about doing that sort of thing with toddlers is you can choose to simplify how you draw the cat. You know, you don't have to make it hard to cut out. To scale this craft up for an older age group like yours, you just add more detail or you do something a little bit tougher with it, like a bleach shirt. Right. But it's actually a, a very versatile craft, the the silhouette concept. Yeah, it's really not that hard. And I freehanded a cat silhouette yeah, and it worked out great. But there's millions and millions of free stencils on Google Images that you can use, too. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed this little trip down memory lane to talk Hocus Pocus. We hope you will join us next week when we kick off the Fear Street trilogy. This was Not Quite Dead. Check out our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Not Quite Dead Podcast and on Twitter at NQD underscore podcast. Follow our blog for bonus content at notquitedeadpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. And happy watching. <laughs>